Welcome to Theodora Speaks, a podcast series celebrating risk-taking women who have successfully failed forward on their journey to reinvent themselves and follow their dreams. I too am on a reinvention journey and recently made one of the toughest decisions in my life, realizing I can have it all, but not at the same time. My podcast guests share the same philosophy and mindset too. I'm creating a community for women in STEM to help them uplevel their risk-taking skills when it comes to having a positive impact of professional diversity and inclusion. Visit gailkeller.org for more information and sign up to be kept in the know on my services. Thank you for listening to my podcast. You have a lot of podcasts to choose from, and I'm elated and grateful you're here. The theme of this conversation is resilience. And what is the meaning of resilience? Well, as defined, resilience is the ability to withhold adversity and bounce back from difficult life events. Being resilient does not mean that people don't experience stress, emotional upheaval, and suffering. Resilience is important because it gives people the strength needed to process and overcome hardship. I share some of this sentiment with my brand. Taking a risk doesn't necessarily mean you won't face obstacles or challenges. The key is to continue forward and persevere. Making excuses on why something cannot work and quitting leads to not only trying and waking up and wondering one day what might have been, but it leaves us with a lot of anxiety, angst, and regret. We all have advantages and disadvantages, such as relational, natural, financial, for example. But when it comes to taking a risk, you need to understand your strengths and challenges in order to fill in the gaps to get you on the right track to success and fulfillment. In this episode, we converse with Dr. Nicole Sapphire, a mother of three boys and a wife to a neurosurgeon. Dr. Nicole Sapphire is a board-certified radiologist with advanced fellowship training in breast imaging practicing, full-time at Memorial Sloan Keating Cancer Center in the New York City area. Challenging the archaic stereotype of radiologist, she is known as a voice in healthcare as an advocate outside of her clinical and research duties, having helped pass legislation in Arizona, New Jersey, New York, and on a federal level. She also holds advisory positions at the Cancer Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and the New Jersey State Department of Health. Nicole is also a nationally known contributor and a regular guest anchor for Fox News Channel. She is the national best-selling author of Make America Healthy Again, with a new book coming out this month with HarperCollins Publishers titled Panic Attack, Playing Politics with Science in the Fight Against COVID-19. I asked Dr. Sapphire to be a guest on my podcast because she is a force. She is the true definition of inspiration and resilience. Listen for when she describes her story of becoming a mother as a teenager and how it was the best unplanned event in her life. Becoming a mother gave her purpose. And I would say Dr. Sapphire is a true inspiration. Dr. Nicole Sapphire, you're a risk taker who empowers many, but today I want to hone in on how you empower women with your personal story. All right. Well, that's fun. I'm excited to dive in. We will cover topics from risk taking to your determination to following your career aspirations. 
We'll also highlight the release of your second book, Panic Attack, Playing Politics with Science in the Fight Against COVID-19. Welcome, Dr. Sapphire. Thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. I'm excited to be on. To begin, I have a surprise for you, and I'll, I definitely want to hear your reaction after I read the following. Uh-oh. Picture yourself driving down the interstate to New York City to have brunch with your girlfriends. You look up and see the following billboard about yourself before you enter the Lincoln Tunnel. Make your mark. Created by your dear friend, Stacy Brakes. And a fun STEM note that I have to share with our listeners is that Stacy graduated from MIT studying pre-med with a degree in mechanical engineering. She was accepted to Johns Hopkins Medical School and the MIT Harvard Health and Science and Technology program before deciding to make her switch to finance. And when I asked Stacy why those very words that describe Dr. Sapphire, she said in her own words, Nicole is one of the most remarkable people I know. From her practice as a radiologist diagnosing and treating breast cancer patients to her work in healthcare, advocacy, and legislation. She makes her mark every day and is an inspiration to those around her. She also touches millions through her books and national media appearances, like on Fox News. I am so lucky and honored to call her my friend. She is truly one of the most remarkable people I know, affecting change and making her mark on the world every day one of my favorite people on this earth. I think she is never not doing something. It's funny because you just named all of her accolades, MIT, et cetera, et cetera. She's also very skilled at just about everything she does. I have hand crocheted coasters made by her. That woman is pure genius. Wow, talent, talent. So pretty powerful words from your good friend. Yes. And you make your mark. I failed to ask, how are you feeling after your second shoulder surgery? Hanging in there. I have my sling off right now, giving my arm a little bit of a breather. Um, you know, as you know, women, it's funny, it's hard for us to admit when maybe something's getting a little bit too hard or, you know, things aren't going as perfectly as we'd like it to. But, you know, I'm a mother of three and about three days before Christmas, I fell down my staircase and just destroyed my shoulder. And so here we are. I'm about three weeks out from the second surgery to fix that damage and getting stronger every day. But let me tell you, it's definitely been challenging. So I'm glad you're on the mend. You look great. So speaking of making your mark in the world on a daily basis, you were born and raised in one of my favorite cities, Scottsdale, Arizona, and now you reside in New Jersey. You're a board certified breast radiologist, patient advocate, a wife, a mother to three boys, and a regular medical contributor to Fox news and Fox business. Not only are you a respected doctor and media medical contributor, but you also continue to be a thought leader with the release of your second book on the heels of the release of your first best-selling book titled Make America Healthy Again, How Bad Behavior and Big Government Caused a Trillion Dollar Crisis. Pretty impressive stuff. You mentioned in other interviews that I've watched that breast cancer is near and dear to you because you lost your grandmother to breast cancer. So if you wouldn't mind, take us back to med school and how you decided 100, with 100% certainty that radiology was your calling. Well, I definitely don't even still think radiology is my calling, but <laughs> it's, you know, it's funny when you go, everyone who goes into medicine, they know that they want to help people. They really don't have an idea of what that help looks like when they get there. And when I went into med school, I... I thought I wanted to work with children that had cancer in forms of an oncologist. Um, and the one thing for me 
when I learned about oncology was, um, you know, you really have to restrict yourself in a lot of the specialties. You kind of really narrow your expertise. And I found with radiology, I mean, I got to speak to neurosurgeons about certain brain tumors and vascular malformations, and I got to speak to podiatrists about different feet deformities. So I didn't have to narrow my scope of anything. I had to know just about everything about every aspect of the body. And that's one of the great things about radiology. They call it the clinician's consultant because any sort of doctor can come to me and I should have some sort of knowledge to be able to talk to them about what they're looking for. In terms of breast radiology, a couple of reasons why I went into that. One, as you mentioned, my grandmother ended up dying of breast cancer. And she died, unfortunately, because she didn't go and get her screening mammograms. Now, if her breast cancer had been diagnosed earlier, it's possible we would have been able to treat it earlier and she would have lived on much longer than she did. I wanted to make sure that women were educated and felt comfortable enough and understand why early detection of cancer can save their life. And also because I really enjoy doing procedures. I'm not someone who can just sit still all day in a dark room, which is kind of a perception that people have of radiologists. Um, in fact, I rarely am sitting and I am touching and seeing more patients a day than a lot of clinicians are. I'm running around, I do the biopsies and I put radioactive seeds in the breasts around the cancer so the surgeons know where to go. And I consult with my surgeons multiple times a day. So, you know, it's a multidisciplinary specialty that I really enjoy. So it sounds like you're very hands-on with a good bedside manner, if I had to guess. You would, I think so. I think so. I mean, I, people, it's funny. I have some people who, some people really need that firm doctor to just say, okay, this is what we're doing. You know, I've got this. And then there are other people who just need the information so they can process it. And you really have to read your patients. Not everyone is one size fits all, but I think I've gotten pretty good at reading my patients and what they need. That's wonderful. So let's go back, Dr. Sapphire, before you became a doctor and a thought leader in medicine to where your dreams all started. You have a beautiful story to share about how you became a mother during a time when others wondered how you would raise a child and go to medical school. So it is an interesting story. Um, one, well, interesting for me, I guess. Uh, I'd say I, one of the best unplanned events of my life started between the summers of my junior and senior year of high school, I uh, found out that I was pregnant. Yes, me, I was the honor student, cheerleader, gymnast, that picture perfect, what everyone thinks you're supposed to be when you're in high school. But then I was also that statistic of that high school pregnancy. So leave it to me to just go all encompass on, you know, hitting those marks. I um, mean, it was a big decision to make. And you know, I say that I was grateful that I had choices of what I could do um, when I found myself in that situation. And I made the choice to have my son. Uh, he was born about six weeks before I graduated high school. And I mean, he's been with me ever since then. And he just turned 21 a few weeks ago. So he definitely thrust me into being an adult much sooner than I probably would have planned. But, you know, he's really given me a purpose since I was 18 years old and making sure that he was going to be okay. You know, a lot of that generation, when you're in your late teens, early 20s, you really only care about yourself. You're a little self-absorbed. Well, I, I got to skip that part of my life. And all of a sudden, everything was about this little guy. And how was I going to take care of him? And you know, I think a lot of people feel that they still aren't able to reach their goals. They're not able to, they wouldn't be able to still go to college or go to medical school or any of these other things. And 
undoubtedly it was a little bit more challenging. I mean, breastfeeding during college is not the easiest thing to do, mm -hmm. um, but it's still possible. And so uh, that was for someone who's type A like me, it was the time where I had to lean on support systems, which can be hard for people. Um, but I was very thankful to have friends and family who were able and willing to help me when I needed. They still help me. My, I flew my mother in from Arizona last couple of weeks ago after my second surgery. I need help. I have no problem phoning a friend these days. And we'll always need our mom, no matter how old or young yes. we are, my opinion. So, so take us back because that perseverance that you mentioned, I'm sure it wasn't easy, you know, making the decision and, 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 you know, using your village that you had at your fingertips, that was kind of hard and, and how you persevered. Well, you know, being a high schooler, the first, the only thing you worry about at that time is your image and how you're perceived by other people. Well, I was quickly dropped by who I thought was my support system back at that time. All of a sudden I went from being an extremely popular person to not popular at all without having hardly any friends. And that's kind of the time where you start to see who, you know, who are your people? And, you know, I try to instill that in my kids right now is it may seem like the more the merrier, but really that's not the case. You have to have your core group of people. And once you've identified who they are, they'll be with you for life. And it may just be your family. It may be certain friends. Um, but, you know, I am... Um, Going to college was challenging. Um, it was when most people were studying or going to parties, I was either working or home with the baby who had a ton of ear infections and all of the other things that happened with infants. And I even missed um, a f my final physics exam um, unintentionally because we had to go to the ER in the middle of the night. He had high spiking fevers. And we were in the ER until about 4 a.m. And then we finally got home. His eardrum had ruptured. It was a mess. Any mother has probably dealt with that. Um, we finally get home and we both fall asleep at like 5.30 in the morning after an entire night in the ER. Mind you, I'm like 20 at this time, maybe 19. And my physics exam, I was sitting on the couch. Like when I woke up around 11 a.m. just thinking, I'm like, something doesn't feel right. And then my friend called me. She's like, I didn't see you at the test today. I'm like, oh, that's what I'm forgetting. Uh -huh. Yes, my final exam from physics. I missed it. I just completely forgot about it because um, my mind wasn't there. And so I went to my professor and he was probably the worst, the meanest guy. He was like that old curmudgeon, physics professor, most people know who I'm talking about. Mm, and yeah. he's like, no, I don't give makeups. There are no makeups available. You're done. Like he didn't want to, he didn't even care. There was no excuses. And I'm like, oh, I guess it is what it is. There's nothing I can do. So I start walking out and he was like, wait a minute. Are you that person that came to me at the beginning of the year? It was a very early lecture and I, my babysitter canceled on me and I didn't want to miss lecture. And I had asked him if I promise to keep this child silent, can I sit in the back of the classroom with him? And I did, and he let me. And so he's like, what, is that you? Like, yeah, that's, I'm probably the only one in your class with the child, but yes, that's me. And he was like, sit down right now and you can take this exam. It's like, <laughs> so he let me. So there were like little things along the way of people who helped me. And then there was the decision whether or not to go to medical school. Because all of a sudden I had a degree and I could have gone and started getting a job and start making money and life would have gotten a lot easier at that point. But I wanted to be a doctor. At that point, I needed to be a doctor because everyone told me I wasn't going to be able to be a doctor after having a child 
football in high school. Um, and so I decided not to skip a beat and we just kept going and here we are. So resilience comes to mind. If there's one yes. word to describe <laughs> you, Dr. Sapphire. And you stubbornness, didn't... stubbornness and refusing to let other people be right about me. Right. And I was going to comment on that. You listened to the naysayers and said you took the opposite approach yeah. and you didn't let fear. You tapped into your faith to, to forge your head. Yep. Which is amazing. So I guess so just tell me I can't do something and I'll figure it out. Don't worry. Yeah, you and I have that in common. <laughs> you and I have that in common. Uh, I'm, I'm too stubborn at times, my husband tells me. So what decision-making skills and superpowers did you tap into when you were going through all of this that you just described and shared with us? You know, I think there was a lot of fight or flight feelings going on. Um, I would say that it, my biggest strength has actually turned into one of my biggest weaknesses these days is that always trying to prove yourself. Um, when, I, when I went through that when I was about 17, 18, and there was just so much negativity towards me saying I wasn't going to be able to do this and you know a lot of negative comments, it was just I'm going to continue to prove them wrong and just not letting that negativity get to you. You have to channel it into almost like this, um, I don't want to say anxiety, but there's just these emotions and you have to figure out something to do with it. And so why not take all of that energy and make it productive? So when you're feeling a certain way, instead of just sitting and either feeling sorry for yourself or getting angry, just channel that and turn it into something productive, whether it's writing something, exercising, calling someone or just persevering along your goals. I mean, making little checklists to see realistic checklists, what you can and cannot get accomplished and can be very helpful. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's good advice. And you were crowned the queen of momsplaining. So tell us <laughs> a little bit about that. That's, <laughs> that's really come out of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, you know, you have a lot of experts on TV, a lot of virologists and epidemiologists and everyone else out there who's talking about the minutia. And one of the things that I've continuously gotten comments on throughout the course of uh, this time of crisis over a year now is that um, I explain things so people can actually understand, um, not in a condescending, you know, way, but just okay, what are they talking about? What, you know, and so we all find ourselves continuing to get confused. Even today, you know, the CDC comes out with this and we're like, wait, what did they say? What does that mean? And so I, I, my, I find my role is to try and make sure that people understand because I believe that facts over fear is going to be what's going to get us all throughout this. And if people really understand what is going on, they can make the best decisions for themselves, for their family, um, and not have so much panic or fear I channel emotions, so, yes. So when well, my oldest son was finally going off to college now, three years ago, almost three years ago, that's a big moment when my entire adult existence has been to try and make sure that this kid survives. I mean, that's really all I've tried to do for the last 21 years of my life. And there he was, he's going off. And, and even though I have two younger guys now, I had a lot of, uh, I would say sadness, angst, just a lot of emotion. I, every mother has that when their kids go away to college. But for something, for some reason, for me, it was really hitting me hard. And so I channeled it and I decided to write my first book. And, you know, that's how I, you know, what I did with a lot of that energy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're talking about that college energy. I, I can only anticipate that. I've got a preschooler now and I, I <laughs> bawled my eyes out dropping her off earlier this year. 
I'll tell you, COVID-19, he actually came home during his sophomore year um, spring break because of COVID and then he stayed home and he transferred closer to home. So I see him a lot more now. So COVID was a blessing in disguise for me because I'm happier he's closer to home. Sure. And it sounds like you're very close. Yes, we are. He comes just about every weekend. Mm, I love it. I love it. So switching topics, Dr. Sapphire, being a medical thought leader, before we dive in and talk about all that fun, picture yourself again driving. Only this time, it's been a long day at the hospital and you're heading home for dinner. You look up on the interstate and see the following billboard about yourself. Nicole, inspiring you to be the best person you are. This billboard was created by your husband, Dr. Paul Sapphire, a neurosurgeon at Altier Health. Oh. You know, it's funny to hear my husband say that I inspire him to be the best he can because I personally, because he's a brain surgeon, I refuse to let him go to his head because, you know, brain <laughs> surgeons, they, they think they're smart or something. So like, I always just say, you know, it's not rocket science. <laughs> oh, that's cute. And not only is he a neurosurgeon, but I saw you posted on social media that he cooked you dinner the other night, chicken oh. farm. Oh, he cooks all the time. He is the main chef in the house. He enjoys cooking, I should say. I cook all the meals, the holiday meals, uh, the big events, but he, he is your Monday through Friday when he's not on call, when he's home, he loves to cook and he cooks very well. That's impressive. What's your favorite dish that he makes? It's a great question, but it is, it's a Greek inspired dish. It's grilled salmon on a grilled pita with some garlic, tzatziki and cucumber and tomato and onion salad. It's delicious. Ooh, sounds delicious and healthy. Yeah, I mean, it's a little, I mean, you know, this is Ziki. I can add the calories, but it's, it's quite delicious. Just a little dab. It could be worse. Yeah, no, that, that's wonderful. And thank you for sharing the recipes you did with us. That'll be on my website for the uh, sapphire oh, yes. cocktail, which sounds yummy, as well as your spinach lasagna. My sapphire cocktail is a, is a fan favorite. Uh, we have <laughs> every, anyone who comes to the house does, rec uh, does ask for it to be made for them. So I implore everyone to try it, but try it responsibly and in moderation. That's true. Thank you, Dr. <laughs> sapphire. <laughs> so switching gears to your first book, there was a great review that I want to read to our listeners out loud. And it's from a gentleman and a doctor, Marty McCary. And he said, Dr. Sapphire pierces through the smoke of modern medicine and presents practical solutions for everyday Americans. So give us a brief overview of your first book, Dr. Sapphire. Marty McCary is a good friend. He's at Johns Hopkins and he's actually blurbed both my books now. He wrote one for Panic Attack too. And that's just how much I truly value his opinion. He's a very smart guy. Um, again, so Make America Healthy Again and Panic Attack. The impetus behind both are to make sure that I'm educating people in easy to read formats so that they can really understand. There was a lot of tension and turmoil you know, a couple years ago about healthcare um, in terms of policy, Obamacare versus Biden care versus Trump care, whatever you want to call it. Sure. But my point was at the end of the day, we're just arguing back and forth really over nothing because nothing's going to change whether you get to socialized medicine, single payer, or completely private. As long as we continue to have as much illness in the, this country as we have, then there's no, nothing's going to fix it. And so what I try and break down in the book is I break it down by the leading causes of death. We talk about cardiovascular disease, cancer, mental health, 
uh, opioid crisis. And I show not only how expensive it is and how many people are dying and suffering with it every single day, but how much of it could potentially be prevented through some very basic lifestyle measures. Now, my first book is not, it is not a wellness book. It's not a how-to book, but it really points out a lot of facts. And again, if I am able to educate people, give them the tools to make best decisions for themselves, I think they will have a less consternation and get less upset when they see some of these provo provocative media headlines, especially as it turns to healthcare from Make America Healthy Again, but now panic attack for COVID-19. All I'm trying to do is make sure people are not having, are not scared of something because they don't understand it. I love that. It's important because this nation is so divided during this time. I feel like you're, there's no gray area. You're in one camp or the other. And so facts are so important, especially as we, as we come out of this. And one section of your book really spoke to me, Dr. Sapphire. It was chapter five. And it was called Into the Deep. And as a mother, I think about the stress and anxiety and not letting too much of that trickle down to my children. So what advice would you give mothers to help them, as well as their offspring, before the stress becomes too much? You know, it's really interesting uh, just how much overlap there is between my first book and then what happened with COVID. Um, I talked about this a lot at the beginning of the pandemic, was that we as adults, Think about how stressed and how scared we all were the first few months of COVID-19. Mm -hmm. Why would anybody be surprised that the mental health claims for our children have gone up so much in the last year? Because if we fell out of control, can you only imagine mm -hmm. how our children felt? Mm -hmm. And so it is really important for adults, parents, to recognize that what we feel, our fears, our anxieties, really um, trickle down to our children. And we have to do everything we can to protect them from it because they have a whole life of feeling those fears and anxieties as they get older. They shouldn't be feeling it at their young age. So for me, I'd really try and check in with myself just about every day. How am I doing? If I find myself feeling stressed, you find you start being very short with your children. You aren't enjoying the little things. You're not enjoying watching them play or you're not even playing with them anymore. So if you're feeling those certain ways, you need to phone a friend. You need to call someone. You need to call your doctor. You need to call a family member. You need to call a friend because you don't want any of that to be affecting your child. Because while adults, it's easier for us to kind of remedy and maybe we're just in a funk. We can get out of it in a couple of days. This is the time for childhood development. And these things will stick with them. They will be ingrained in them. And it's gonna be a lot harder to pull them out of some of these situations. So you wanna do all you can to protect the children. They still are children. And let's just remember that they don't, we wanna do everything we can to protect them from the fears and some of the mental health issues that we as adults are dealing with. Couldn't agree more with you, Dr. Sapphire, and creating that shell of protection while they're little, because they do have the rest of their lives to figure out the right from wrong and anxiety. And so, you know, as mothers, what are we? We're sponges of that well, negativity. Well, one thing I notice is that a lot of people right now feel that they need to talk to their kids about everything in terms of like social justice and everything that's going on in the news and the protests. And while I understand like you don't want your kids to be in a complete bubble, I don't need, I don't feel like they need to be aware of all of that right now. Aren't, they're going through enough, right? It's been a tough year between the lockdowns, wearing masks, not seeing their friends. I mean, 
I don't need to talk to them about the pro a lot about the protests right now. It's like a bird's eye view for my kids. They have their whole life to be exposed to these things. Right now, I just want to make sure that they're as happy and healthy as they possibly can be. Right, and safe. Exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. And mental health is, is important to me. And, you know, there was such a stigma around it before COVID-19, I felt like, in society. So Dr. Sapphire, as we wrap up the conversation on book number one, in your acknowledgement section, you said, to Lauren and Suzanne, for seeing something in me I didn't know exists. What did they see in you, doctor, that you didn't <laughs> see in yourself? So that is Suzanne Scott, who is the president of Fox News and uh, Lauren Pedersen, who is the president of Fox Business. And, you know, people say to me like, oh, how did you get on TV? Was it all this media training? You know, what got you into it? I'm like, um, I had two glasses of wine at a derby party and someone asked my opinion on the Affordable Care Act and I just, I let them know my opinion because I had <laughs> a, a one-year-old at home and I had just gotten over my uh, postpartum depression. So I was happy to be at a party. Right. And I had two glasses of wine, so I had no filter. Um, no, but so, I mean, I'm laughing, but that's actually the truth. Um, so I just, um, you know, they saw in me someone who could really break down the details of something very complex mm -hmm. and explain to people why there's controversy, what the facts are, why there shouldn't be controversy. And again, that has continued to just be my mantra is I'm going to take something that everyone's fighting about, break it down to the facts, show them why they, they're actually more on the same side than they think, and then we'll see where they go from there. I'm not trying to fix it. But again, if I could just explain everyone's position to each other and to everyone else, then everyone can have a better understanding. And then we can move forward with less angst, less fighting, less controversy. Mm -hmm. And more informed opinions and decisions exactly. out of that. So moving on to book number two, on the heels of book number one, which is very impressive, Doctor. From what I understand, your book reveals how politics and the COVID-19 pandemic intermingled and is baffling the public, public like you mentioned. An abbreviated version of, of what I was reading was fueling conspiracy theories, a lack of trust, which in turn makes it harder for the American people to understand the best path forward. With a failed government modeled coupled with uh, the politicalization of science and the identifying a clear path forward is as clear as mud. <laughs> so tell us a little bit more. Well, it's interesting. I've been writing this book for the last eight months. It's kind of difficult to write a book about a crisis as the crisis is unfolding because things change all the time. I thought but about that. Isn't it interesting how incredibly relevant <laughs> the content of the book is? Right now, I mean, all you have to do is there are so many examples of certain things that I discussed in the book that are having are becoming media headlines today. If today, even that I don't know if anybody, I mean, this entire month you keep seeing there's discussion uh, between doctors Fauci and Senator Paul about gain of function research and you know should we be doing it? Should we not be doing it? I talk about that in the book. They have questions about the origin of the virus and you know, it's not necessarily that people want to prove it came from a lab, but they feel that maybe we should prove it didn't come from a lab. I talk mm. about all of that. I talk about teachers unions and their insertion of their influence on school reopenings. And that happened before all the controversy this month happened, before the emails came out proving it. Um, it just was interesting. I, you know, I really break down a lot. 
I talk about where the virus could have come from, from the genetic sequence just to everything. I talk about it. I talk about why there's controversy there. And again, I give people facts. The facts that are available, I mean, we don't have all the answers. Talk about the World Health Organization. Like, why all of a sudden did that turn into a fight? Why were some people hating them? Why were some people loving them? I talk about that. And I give historical context how there's been controversy with this organization for decades, since its inception. I talk about what happened once the virus actually came um, onto our shore. Did, you know, did, what did we fumble? What could we have done better? Um, we talk about the lockdowns. We talk about the protests. We talk about, we talk about everything. And again, anything and everything that could have caused just even the slightest controversy. I showed why it, be, why it became controversial, whether someone politicized it to use it as their own partisan warfare. Let's not forget, this was a presidential election year and we know that's what all, all politicians wanna do. They wanna have political warfare on their opponents and they will grab hold of any crisis. You know, vote for me, I'm gonna save you. That's what, we, what we've been seeing that for centuries. So, you know, I just really try and break it down. Again, you know, there are things we could have done better. There are things we still could be doing better, um, but transparency and informed decision-making needs to kind of lead everything. And unfortunately, I think that people have really bad messaging from the CDC to Dr. Fauci, to President Trump, to President Biden. They all kind of missed the mark when it came to how to have their messaging. Sure, sure. Even from like, should we wear a mask? Shouldn't we wear a mask? Right? Uh, oh, trust me, face mask, that's, that's in there. Hydroxychloroquine, that's in there. How did one of the like most oldest and most utilized medications that's been around forever with known antiviral properties become like the pillar of a conspiracy theory? It's because President Trump mentioned it. Like, well, is, why did that happen? You know, maybe he shouldn't have been mentioning the details during those press conferences, but Think about what the media did. Mm -hmm. And then the big tech censorship of any contrarian opinion. That only fuels the conspiracy theorists even more. It doesn't make it better. It just fuels them more and it, grow, it adds to the skepticism that we're already trying to battle. Mm -hmm. And the fear. And the fear. There's a reason it's called panic attack. <laughs> right, right. So speaking of panic attack, how will your book help us reemerge post-pandemic? Again, it is about educating people. I think there's still people who think about hydroxychloroquine and they're just mad about it. They want to know, like, it could have saved so many lives. It's like, could it have? Like, mm -hmm. let, me tell, let me talk to you. Let me actually talk to you about the research there. Same with face masks. They're so mad. Like, face masks 100% work. Face masks don't work at all. Like, well, let's talk about it. Let me tell you why you can both, I, I mean, you can find any scientific study to fit your narrative but I kind of pull them together, at least the reputable ones, mm -hmm. and I show what they show. But then I also pull some of those studies that you know, some people really hold on to. Like there was a, a Denmark study that some people took to say face masks don't work at all. But even the authors of this study, it said that that's not what they said. But somehow it just you know, went viral. So I talk about that study. And you know, again, it is just educate yourself and you will maybe have less resentment, less anger, and more understanding of what went down. And when you're at the dinner table and people bring it up again, you're gonna be like, ah, ha, ha, I know, I actually know the answer to that. I, I don't need to speculate anymore. Yes, I love it, I love it, educating the American people. So thank you for right. that. So going back to the Derby, and, and I wanna <laughs> kind of hone in on this again with Lauren and Suzanne, Dr. Sapphire, 
What made you want to become a thought leader to complement your radiologist profession? So the reason before the Derby Party, I was involved in a lot of healthcare legislation. I passed a few laws in a couple of different states trying to get more women access to certain screening, uh, cancer screening. Um, and so I was always, because for me, again, being a doctor, you go to medical school, you want to help people. Mm-hmm. And I knew I could only see so many patients a day. Um, but then I was passing laws. I'm like, wow, my reach is just getting so much bigger. And then I was given a platform to speak on national television. And I was like, wow, my reach just got so much bigger. And so it's all the same thing. It's all wanting to help and educate and giving people the tools they need to make the best decisions for themselves. I mean, that's what I do in my day job as a doctor. And that's what I try and do every time I go on TV. And so I is, have just continued to expand that platform to reach more people. Mm-hmm. That's Great. And I think I've shared with you, you have a very commanding but eloquent voice. Thanks. You want to well, I'll tell you, the first book, I didn't do the audio version of myself. I didn't record it. I hired a professional voiceover person to do it because mm-hmm. I don't particularly like my voice. Um, but then I did a poll on social media for this one and everyone wanted to hear my voice. And they said, you know, you've been on TV and the radio for COVID. It seems like you should be the one reading this. Mm-hmm. That was so hard. That was like 19 hours of recording, enunciating. I have a whole chapter on China. Those are some hard words to come up with. All of a sudden, I had to master my pronunciation of Chinese names, which I'm sure anybody who actually listens to the audiobook who really is proficient in Chinese are going to be like, no. Actually, Stacy Brakes, who is who speaks Chinese, she's going to be like, "That's you did a terrible job. <laughs> but I tried. <laughs> Hey, as long as you tried. And <laughs> readers, when they listen to audio, they want to hear the author's voice. That's what they say. Yeah. I've actually never listened to an audiobook myself. I love hardcovers. Yes, me too. Me too. I'm going to start because I think I can maybe burn through more books if I do the audio while That is what I hear people do. They put, put you on like times two. Yes. Yes. And when you're but driving- should we always be in a rush? Isn't it okay to take your time to read a book? That's one of the biggest things. We're always in a rush to get things done. That's a great question and point, Dr. Sapphire, because post-pandemic for me, I don't talk to the absolute hustle and bustle mm-hmm. of just running and feeling ragged and just always up against the clock. The one thing I liked from stopping the clock was being with the family, having more time, not feeling so rushed to appreciate, appreciate when the tulips come up in the spring, for example. Absolutely. Yes. So Dr. Sapphire, all of your experiences that you have, you shared, that maybe you haven't shared, have left a lesson that changes the way you think about taking risks or the way you understand resilience. What does taking a risk mean to you? I am not a risk taker, believe it or not. Um, I, ever since I had my son 21 years ago, I have tried to play things very safe. Um, I have no problem I will put myself out there in the sense that I will pitch a book, pitch a story, pitch anything, because the worst thing that can happen is someone says no to me. So I don't necessarily see that as a risk because the only thing I'm really risking is just my pride, which, you know, that, that says something. Um, but I, if you don't put yourself out there in that sense, or just having a realistic concept that the worst thing that could happen is just being told no, 
mean, that's pretty great. That's pretty empowering in itself. It's not like you're saying, all right, I'm going to go walk a tightrope over the Grand Canyon. The worst thing that can happen is I fall to the bottom of the canyon. Like, that's a different story. But I think a lot of people are so afraid of that rejection or they don't, they fear that, why would anybody want to hear from me? Why, you know, why would anybody care? If you'd really just acknowledge that just hearing no is the worst thing that could happen, you know, it, it pushes you forward to, all right, I'm just going to try and I'm going to try again. And I'm just going to keep trying until they say yes. I love it. And what tools helped you when you're thinking about leaping over that Grand Canyon? That's a great question. Um, I do a lot of thinking in my head. Think, well, you always think in your head. I process a lot in my head, I guess I should say. Some people like to use sounding boards, talk to friends, write things down. I do it in my head. My mother and my husband will tell you that's not my strongest suit because they think I do too much in my head. Mm -hmm. um, but I find that I, I really like to think through things before executing them. So by the time that I'm ready to do it, it is very much organized and I have a, a big picture idea of what I want to do. And that's taken me time to get through and to get to that point. It's, you know, years and years of years of being able to sift through some of that nonsense or some of the noise that's all around me and to focus on what it is I really want to do. Mm -hmm. um, is just to try and quiet what's around you, I guess I should say. And so for some people, that means you have to take time out of your busy life to be able to hear yourself think, because if you're always going, 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 then you're never going to hear that voice inside of you that's trying to try something new. Mm -hmm. And that's the voice we all have to listen to, or mm -hmm. our inner selves, right? There's enough uh, negativity out there talking. So to that point, I'm curious, Dr. Sapphire, as a public figure, how do you cope and deal with criticism? <laughs> the mute function on Twitter is a glorious thing. <laughs> uh, I will be honest, sometimes, so in the beginning, before I got a little, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm savvy at social media now, but I'm trying. Um, I used to actually read a lot of the comments or anything of the sort. I've kind of stopped, which I'm probably missing out on some really good comments, but I found that the negative ones, People put more effort into, if you've ever seen it, even in reviews online, people are going to put more effort into their negative review than they will to their positive reviews. So, um, and that's what I find on social media as well. And just anywhere as a response to me, people are going to really put some time into saying I'm a terrible person. And the people who think I do great, it is like hit the like button. It's like, well, <laughs> so... I've, I've really just tried to um, sift out how much I read. Um, and so if people send me messages and you don't get a response, that's probably why. It's not I'm ignoring you. I'm just not reading them because that's what I have found is better for my mental health. Because when I speak publicly, I speak to what I believe is true. Yes, I give my opinion on a lot of things, but nothing I say is really off the cup. I am very, um, I read up on every single topic I'm talking about. Um, and you know, I stand behind everything I say. And so as long as you do that, they can say whatever they want. It doesn't matter. You know, I'm allowed to have an opinion as long as my opinion isn't some wackadoodle, whatever, then, you know, it, it's okay to have opinions. Um, and as long as I'm saying it's a certain opinion. Now, when I'm speaking scientifically or something a little bit more serious, yeah, I'll, you can bet your bottom dollar that it's backed up by science and it's reliable data for that matter. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm newer to social media in terms of my brand, Dr. Sapphire. And so <laughs> someone gave me some good advice recently. Just it's not people, not everyone's going to fit at your table or want to sit at your table and that's okay. And likewise, I'm not going to want to sit at everyone's table. You don't want everyone to sit at your table. Just right. <laughs> No. So create your own table yes. in the cafeteria, right? And, and see who, see who joins you. People will. So that's, that's really, really well said. So as we wrap here, Dr. Sapphire, your drive and determination shine brightly along with your, your risk-taking ability. I'm going to call you a risk taker. <laughs> so how would you encourage more women in STEM to be themselves and shine? Well, you know, back when I was studying microbiology, immunology, and all of that, be, STEM really didn't have, that term was just coming. It was just being birthed. And it was difficult because if you were a woman in science, a woman in engineering or mathematics, that kind of made you less feminine. I guess less of a woman is what it felt like because you had to sit at a table with a bunch of guys and you wanted to prove your worth. I feel like now it is much more accepted. I mean, look at you have this podcast. I mean, that's incredible. And so people just need to, again, find their people because you have so much support around you. You can do whatever you want. You can work in STEM. You can work in whatever field you want and still be a mother, an excellent mother, still be an excellent wife. Like you can do it all. You just have to figure out what's going to work for you. You know, you brought up my friend, Stacy. She is the, she, one of the smartest people I've ever met. She could have gone to Hopkins Medicine. She chose not to. She does consulting and finance right now while raising her children and being this incredible wife to her husband, whom she met at MIT. It, it, there's no judgment, whatever you do. You know, she jokes at herself that she went to MIT, but she's mostly a stay at home mom. It's like, who, like, it doesn't matter. You can, you can take whatever it is you want to do and turn it into the most incredible thing. I'm in awe of Stacy every single day of what she accomplishes. And she says the same thing about me. And it's funny because we, there's like very little overlap of what we do, but we both sit in awe of each other. And so as long as you are filling a role that is satisfying to yourself and you are continuing to push yourself to do whatever it is you want to do, whether that is sitting at home and crocheting a pillow or coming up with a cancer cure. I mean, as long as it's what's making you happy and that's just keep doing it. And you have to make sure you find those around you who are going to elevate you to be that person you want to be. That is so inspiring, Dr. Sapphire. So thank you so much for being with us today, for sharing your story and your time and your talent with our listeners. And I wish you the best of luck. Well, thank you so much for having me on such an important conversation. A sincere thank you to Dr. Nicole Sapphire for sharing her inspiring story with us. A special thank you to you, our valued listeners, to Dr. Paul Sapphire and Stacey Brakes for helping celebrate Dr. Sapphire, and to New Voice Studios for producing our podcast series. The three key takeaways from today's conversation are one, follow your dreams. No one else has the same dreams as you. You're unique. So listen to your inner self and follow those dreams. Number two, channel your dreams. Prove the naysayers wrong. And finally, take your risks. The best experiences are often the unplanned events in your life. If you're dealing with indecision in your career, visit gailkeller.org. 
In addition to my podcast series, I offer advisory sessions and course offerings on how to prepare you to be a risk taker and face your fears. Women in STEM play a huge role when it comes to diversity and inclusion, especially after the year 2020, when over 2 million women left the workforce to tend to their families and or find other jobs with less stressors in search of balance and fulfillment. I offer a trusted space focused on instilling the values of courage, decisiveness, confidence, assertiveness, and balance. I can help you successfully reboot your career by teaching you how to successfully fail forward without the crash and burn. In closing, don't forget to check out my website for Dr. Sapphire's shared recipes at gailkeller.org. My podcast guests share recipes in order to make your life a little bit easier when it comes to planning your happy hour and dinner. Thank you and stay courageous. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.